0: Hi, I'm Ann Matthews.
1: And I'm Doran Greenwood. And you are listening to Civic Talk.
0: We're joining forces, combining our years of experience as journalists and government hacks, and now amateur podcasters, to bring you a podcast about the public services we use every day. We want to pull back the curtain on how innovative public services are designed. We'll talk to the policymakers and the service innovators about what inspires them.
1: So come take a peek inside the ivory tower with us.
0: Welcome back.
1: In this episode, we're talking about user research.
0: Is that a cat?
1: Yes, that's Humphrey. He had a lot to say about user research. I had a chance to talk to Catherine Benjamin, who's an expert in user research, and she was cat sitting. (laughs) I know.
0: I really wanted to talk to her about innovative government services. And you can't be innovative without focusing on the user. But what does that actually mean? And how do governments do it well? Well, Catherine's worked for the National Health Service in England,
1: uh, which is considered one of the most exciting places to work on digital services. Then she worked with us at the Ontario Digital Service and now she is the deputy chief technology officer for digital services for the city of New York. I started by asking her how she would define the term user-centered design.
2: So when I talk about user-centered design or when I think about user-centeredness, ultimately that's, it's about where is the power in decision-making? when you hear the word user-centered, really what people are often talking about is, uh, if it's in government, you're talking about the residents. And if you're in the corporate side, it would be maybe a customer. And so it's just orienting your decision-making around what those people's needs are.
0: Um, Well, some of our listeners may not still understand what that really means when we're talking about government services. So let's talk about our own experiences with user research when we worked on the Ontario government's digital talent strategy. Right. Our task was to
1: figure out how the government could create a new hiring process for people with digital expertise. You and I knew that the existing hiring process was, shall we say, painful.
0: Very painful.
1: But we really needed to understand it before we could propose a new one. So we did a lot of user research with hiring managers, with employees applying for jobs, and with the people who run the HR infrastructure. It was really telling, wasn't it, Doran? Yes, Anne, it certainly was. We created journey maps of the hiring experience from all angles, and only then did we find out how many what you might call pain points there were along that journey. And this is what you'd call qualitative research, and that takes time, effort, and lots of courage. All too often, governments will follow the tried-and-true method and just go with what's worked in other places and rely on the belief that if it's good
0: enough for them, then it must be good enough to copy. So true. How many times were you asked to do a jurisdictional review to find a way forward? Isn't that how fast followers was coined? Just mimic what others have done. It takes bravery to actually reach out to users and find out what they want. Yeah, it does.
1: Anne, Catherine has
2: lots of experience with this. I started working in a frontline role in a hospital, and as part of that local hospital, they had um, an amazing service. They still have it called Open Doors, and it is a clinical outreach and case management service. Uh, And I worked on the outreach side, so it was a service that provided um, health services and other Humphrey says hello again uh, and other things for people involved in sex work. And so, as an outreach person, part of what we did was go out uh, in at all hours of the day and night and meet with people in the community, um, people who were involved in sex work and understand what their needs are and help them get access to the services they were entitled to. So things like housing, things like criminal justice support, things like domestic violence support.
0: That kind of frontline healthcare is about as close as you can get to the users of government services.
2: Did she have any recent examples of
0: her user research? Absolutely. She was talking about a really neat pilot launched in
1: the early days of the pandemic in New York City.
2: Back in the spring of 2020, when things were really in the sort of height of the uncertainty phase, and, uh, you know, just at the initial, some of the initial waves of COVID, um, one of the things the city of New York was extremely concerned about was isolated older adults in uh, NYCHA buildings, so that's New York City Housing Authority buildings, um, So people who didn't have access to the internet. So the goal was we need to get 10,000 internet connected tablets to people all over the city of New York. Keeping in mind, this is like the service design challenge, that when they onboard themselves, there's nobody to help them. So this person just needs to open the box. They receive multilingual instructions, 13 different languages and like a clear call to action, just like press this button. So as part of this, of course, we really wanted to do user research. Uh, with consent, we were able to get these amazing quotes um, about how people were using these tablets, visual quotes. So people were describing um, how like the tablets were being used, as it's an older adult, like connecting with a grandchild or playing video games with a grandchild or listening to music from their youth. But it ended up that these quotes that people had consented to share with us were actually read out by the mayor at his press conference, like talking about this work Rarely
1: do people who work in government have the opportunity to get instant feedback, like Catherine did, from the people the program was designed to serve. And as she points
2: out, to do user research well, you really need to understand what problem you're trying to solve. If you can't say exactly what the problem is, then no technical solution can be assigned to solve it, because what are you even solving? User needs are important, and there's but
0: there's so many challenges. You have to find the right users, you need to interview them, and you have to be ready when they tell you things you don't want to hear.
1: Yeah. Often, you'll get subject matter experts steeped in policy who think they know what the solution is, and then they get told by some newbie to government that
2: they're
0: wrong. Mm-hmm. Doesn't Catherine talk about that tension? Oh, yes, she does
2: if you think about who's doing product design and who's conducting user research, they generally, not always, but they probably don't come from a policy background. And so sometimes I've seen this tension a lot in the NHS, for instance, where the product team come in and one of the ways you'd approach a product question is treated as though it's the first time it's happened. So it's like, well, we need to first figure out what people want in this thing. But then from a policy perspective, you'll like, I'm not even joking, we'd have these things where it's like, um, this person's actually spent 45 years studying that question. And so you can see that tension. And like, you know, the answer to this isn't, is never like one person's thing is necessarily more right. It's that this is where this co-production and the value of multidisciplinary teams and doing user research comes in. So if you can get both the person with the 45 years of experience and the person who's going to be building the product together in a room, then that's where the magic happens.
0: This all sounds so exciting, but how do you get support
2: to do this kind of research? She says, first, you need evidence. It's, you know, it's the classic case of a pathos over logos, which is to say like a logic-based argument is probably going to be less effective than seeing a real person look at a real thing and express frustration or express whatever, like that's what's gonna help you realize like we need to change this button because it's not clear that the user's gone all the way through this and that the next step is to press the button There's something with the design of this button that has to change. And hearing that rage and frustration of someone who's like, how am I not done? I thought it was done, but it didn't work. Like that's that's how you, you get people corralled around a product and a vision and what needs to change.
0: Not only does this make better products and services, but it helps get buy-in from senior leaders to take a chance with the approach. And you know, this is so important to deal with that tension that Catherine was
2: talking about earlier. In Ontario, um, the former Secretary of Cabinet came over to the Ontario Digital Service Lab and spent a day with us doing user research. And that was so compelling because then when you spoke to another person, uh, and for context, that is the head of the public service in that region, like there is no one more senior than that person. So then subsequently, when you speak to someone and they say, oh, you know, Catherine, I'd come to user research, but I'm pretty busy and I don't have time. You can sort of just casually say like, oh, no, that's cool. We understand. Like, I mean, the secretary secretary of cabinet had time, but if you're more busy than the most important person's organization. okay.
0: Ah, Steve Orsini, the former secretary of cabinet, was really interested in user research and that validated it.
2: For sure. For sure. Doubters are going to question how useful it really is. Um, I'd say a really common question you get in user-centered design and using qualitative methods or user research, um, which to be clear, sometimes involves quantitative methods. Um, It might involve like data analytics or whatever. But often the question is like, well, is this user research session is it statistically significant? Uh, and that's actually not the goal. Statistical significance is important in some research, but if you're if you're just trying to do you know five user research sessions every week, your goal isn't to get a statistically significant representation of Americans in every single five-person user in user research session. Yes, there are people who are skeptical. Usually, it's about uh, is qualit is qualitative methods or are qualitative methods legitimate? Um, And one thing you will notice increasingly in technology is that they, you know, quantitative methods are both more highly compensated financially and also tend to be more highly regarded. And I think that's just because people are more comfortable with the certainty. They want to know that 78% of people said this. Um, Does it actually mean anything? Maybe, maybe not. But they're just more familiar with that as like the level of certainty versus seeing the nuance of a qualitative research output.
1: So... The key is to keep testing and evolve your product as you go,
0: because, as Catherine points out, the first thing you make is always the worst thing you make. There are lots of people doing great user research and lots who are new to it. So if you want to learn more about the work
1: Catherine's doing for the city of New York and what others around the world are doing for their government,
0: we've posted stuff on our Buzzsprout website. And we think Humphrey deserves the last word, definitely.
2: You are not the user, Humphrey. You don't like that I'm speaking to anyone who's not you, you silly kitty cat.
0: I'm Doran Greenwood, and I'm Ann Matthews, and this is Civic Talk. Thanks for joining us.